Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300 List know the difference. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Spano and Mark Oswald. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, June 22nd. I'm Danny Clayton. I'm back. Hey, Mark mm-hmm. Oswald. Good morning. Derek Felsky. Good morning, Danny. And David J. Spano. Let's yes, do sir. that week in review. Yes, sir. So, you know, there was a lot of news that came out this past week, and the Dow is at all-time highs. And so you look at really what has changed. You, know, you think about where we were over the last six months, and the news has changed, and the facts and circumstances have changed. And I think you really have to start with central bank policy, not only here in the United States, but across the pond as well. Derek, we saw some news out of Mario Draghi this week, and that was the precursor to what we saw from the our Federal Reserve. Right. On, on Tuesday, Draghi highlighted the weakness of Eurozone economy, you know, stocks like Deutsche Bank continuing to hover near, you know, all-time lows. So the, the market there and, and the economy there has been very weak, and he suggested that, again, that he will do whatever it takes to levitate that economy, whether that requires more more and more countries to have negative interest rates on their bonds remains to be seen. But as a result of that, the German 10-year bond closed with a yield of minus 30 basis points. You know, Dave, we've got thousands of people that listen to the show every week, regular listeners. And I think just a little walk back to December is important because I think it starkly sets forth the change that we saw in Fed policy, what we've called and others have called the Fed pivot. But you start thinking about what the Fed was talking about in December in terms of what the dot plot, what their expectations were for their actions going into 2019 and where we're at today. Really a big contrast. Yeah, no question. So there was, if you think about it, they were talking about four rate hikes throughout 2019 and trying to normalize interest rates that in case we had a recession or a pullback, that they had that arrow in their quiver to pull out. Well, the facts have changed. They did a pivot, as as you talked about, Mark, in January. They put that on pause, and now we're talking about Fed rate cuts. In fact, there's this thing that we look at, Derek, that actually puts percentages on what the expectations are of rate cuts through 2019, and one of them is is next to 100%. Yeah, I hesitate to say that with a compliance person in the room, but right now the futures market is looking for a 100% chance of a rate cut in July, a 90% chance of a rate cut in September, and 65% in December. So a complete reversal from what we saw late last year. The other thing that is intriguing to me, at least with with the current interest rate policy, is they have not cut rates, but at the same time, Mark, they are still reducing their balance sheet through September, which is actually a tightening move, reducing liquidity in the market. So the question really is, is the Fed too late? Have they made a policy mistake, or were they correct in amplifying the risk to the economy and presuming that rate decreases are in our future. And of course, that market has going to have everything to do with what is happening with China and trade as well. So again, we're back talking about the Fed, we're back talking about trade. But in the meantime, people are seeing their 401ks rally because of these two very things. Uh, We have a meeting coming up, a very important meeting with Chinese President Xi and President Trump. They're going to try to get together and at least get a framework to get a trade policy put together. Yeah, later this month, the G20 meeting, and we're going to try to get a trade policy. Who knows what's going to come out of that? You start to see some ebbs and flows. 
a positive sentiment towards the settlement of the tariffs that have been pervasive in the markets for the last couple of months now. But you start thinking about all these things interrelated and really what it means for investors that are listening this morning. You think about Fed policy and trade and the ECB we've mentioned this morning. There's other things going on. Obviously, there's geopolitical things going on with Iran. Those are all impacting right now what's going on in portfolios. And I think that really thoughtful investors right now have to digest all that information and say, should I be making changes in my portfolio right now? And I think the answer to that, guys, is no, not wholesale changes anyway. You certainly could look at, does energy have a place in your portfolio or other sectors, of perhaps? Of course, you're Dave. assuming, Mark, that people's portfolios are in the right place. Well, that's true, spot, too. Right? I mean, yeah, and so I think from 30,000 feet, Derek, in, in about the last minute or so, we are bouncing up against 3,000 on the S&P. And we talked about that earlier in, in the year. And here we are. Yeah, I mean, that was essentially our target for the end of 2019, or just a little bit higher than that. But what's happened? And this year, you know, estimates have come down dramatically. They were down dramatically in the first quarter. The, the companies did manage to exceed diminished expectations. Estimates for the second quarter are also negative on a year-over-year basis. So while the market has rallied, earnings have gone sideways or gone lower. So basically, the valuation on a forward-looking basis of the market is, is a little north of 17 times, which has been kind of a peak, frankly, over the last several years as we've been kind of churning sideways. Uh, the other thing I kind of want to point out, too, you know, tomorrow the president's going to be on the Meet the Press. So who knows what he's going to say during that that conversation? We also have Vice President Pence on Monday is going to talk speak about China. The last time he spoke about China was a very hawkish, very strong comment. And these are things that I think will affect the equity markets into into early next week. Dirk Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. We're going to take a break. Still to come on the show, Dean Phillips with a segment called Retirement is a Gender Issue. And it certainly is. She's going to dive into that. Also, what is Annex Ignite? That is a program for really wealth management for everybody. And two of the members from the Annex Ignite team are going to join us, uh, talk about that and talk about why it, it is really an awesome thing. And if you're a current client of Annex and maybe you've got children or people in your family that uh, really need to get going, make sure that they hear this. All of our segments are on our YouTube channel and you can subscribe to that for free. That's Annex Wealth Management. Just uh, search on YouTube for Annex Wealth Management. Website, AnnexWealth.com. You can hit that Get Started button and get going as early as Monday on that free portfolio analysis. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, and we are back for Saturday, June 22nd. Team Tech Trust website, AnnexWealth.com. You know, Mark, uh, you like to talk about the Straits of Hormuz, and of course that made news against, again this week. Well, you start to think about this very important part of the world and why we focus on it here on Money Talk. You're talking about oil. and the Middle East, obviously, there's about 30% of the world's oil comes through the Strait of Hormuz in and out. And at its, at its narrowest point, it's about 36 miles across. So which isn't a big thing when you start thinking about oil tankers coming in and out of that. And part of it is you have to go into Iranian territorial waters when you're doing that. And so the Iranians kind of control that piece of land and what goes on there. So you start to think about the tensions that we've been having with Tehran. We had the two tankers that were hit, and now we had a drone that was downed this particular week. And you start to say, is that going to choke, be a choke point for oil? And if you think about all the natural, the liquefied natural gas that comes out of there, the countries that are on the inside of, of the strait, of course, are Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. And you start thinking about those countries and exporting oil. Now, if this was 1970, it's a whole 
whole different story, right, guys? Because you, you, we don't have frackers, and the U.S. isn't sending out millions of barrels of oil a day, and you're more dependent on it. But today we don't have the same amount of impact, but it does have a psychological effect on what's going on with the price of oil. Oil was up about 10% this week. We had a refinery fire in Philadelphia on Friday. That also looks to interrupt uh, some of the driving just as we get into driving season with the 4th of July coming right now. So you're going to see some higher gas prices. You're going to see some higher oil prices, perhaps. But it is interesting what it does for energy companies and energy company stocks, ultimately. But, you know, when you start thinking about the consumer paying more for gasoline, I think you worry more about consumer spending than you do the price of oil. The other thing that I found kind of interesting, Mark, was, you know, the U.S. produces more oil now than both Saudi Arabia and Russia, which I find astounding. Isn't that amazing? But the other thing is China is the largest importer of oil in the world. And interestingly enough, so the U.S. is there kind of, you know, fighting off the Iranians, if you will, yet China's doing nothing. And we're essentially giving China a free ride here. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, will, the, will President Trump levy a tariff on China because they're not helping out with the Iranians? Well, we'll have to find out. But you look at U.S. field production of crude oil. The United States is producing 12 million barrels a day. It is the highest. It is the most that we have ever done. And as you said, I mean, we are becoming more and more oil independent, if you will. And and that puts a little pressure on the OPEC countries as well as China. So it it is an important concept. You know, Derek, throughout the the week, and Derek and Mark, we get questions uh, from some of our clients. And sometimes I like to – it's not really ask annex, but it's things that we're seeing – uh, in our client reviews, and we talk about fair value a lot, a lot of times, and you look at interest rates in, in where they are today, but we've read that the market is fairly valued, but we look at something else that you and I did that said it's not fairly valued. So what's your take on that? My take on it is you have to think of things in context. You have equity valuations, and then you have interest rates and interest rate levels, and when you're evaluating the, the value of an asset, you have to impute an interest rate. And currently, with interest rates at these levels, for example, just to use simple math, with the 10-year Treasury trading at 2%, that's a, effectively a 50 PE. That, that a fair value would be 50 PE because it's the inverse, right? Right. It's so, a, But obviously, if we got to 50 PE, people's heads would blow off. Yeah, you'd be at Dow like 60,000 or something, something like that. But you know, I remember back to March of 2000 when I had the misfortune of running a tech fund for a, a local firm. And at that time, the median forward P.E. of the largest 50 companies in the S&P 500 was 31, but right. interest rates were at 6%, right. right? So currently— And by the way, if you remember that back in 2000, people's expectations was that it should return, have those kind of returns as well. That was the crazy part. Oh, I know. The, I, I remember Investors Business Deal, the investors thought that the returns going forward on stock should be 20%. Right. And you know, folks like Warren Buffett would say, hey, wait a minute, over the, over the course of the long term, the S&P— 500 can't grow at a pace faster than, say, the uh, nominal growth of GDP. Right. But getting back to that that prior example, so 31 times trading at with a 6% interest rate market. Currently, the largest 50 companies, S&P, are trading at 18 and a half times earnings, but the 10-year yield is at two. Right. So, but so 18 and a half times, and the long-term run rate is about 16 and a half. So it's slightly above at normal interest rates, not low interest rates. Yeah, and the other and the other thing we keep coming back to too is so the valuations are much better now than they were in March of 2000, which was a bull market peak. But right now, going forward, interest rates at these levels, there really is no alternative. So Tina does live once more. And frankly, when you see the flow data, where we saw record outflows in May, accompanying market weakness, now followed by some strong inflows in June, this market is still unloved by the bulk of investors. It is 10:22. 
This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Team Tech Trust, the website AnnexWealth.com. Location-wise, we're in Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown in the Fister, and we can use Annex everywhere, which is simple screen share technology. We use that a lot with Annex Ignite. If you're wondering where that is, stick around. We've got a segment about that because Annex Wealth Management believes that wealth management is for everybody, and that's what Ignite does. That's on the way on Money Talk on WTMJ. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. Joining me, Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, Annex Wealth Management, CFP, CDFA. Works closely with a number of clients across all of our Annex Wealth Management locations. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Headline caught my eye, quote, retirement is a gender issue. Mm -hmm. You've talked about this before, haven't you? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a classic good news, bad news thing. The good news is based on lifespan, women will live longer in retirement. And the bad news is, is women will live longer in retirement. That poses some issues, and we're going to talk about that. So in the United States, women outlive men by an average of five years, so they need solid financial planning, greater savings that's going to last longer. That can happen. But do you see the opposite? Uh, well, that statistic actually does exist for a reason. So sure, we do see the opposite, but most likely women do outlive men. And we tend to plan on an average for men living to age about 86 or so actuarially, and then women about 91. But certainly, as the years go on, those ages get extended out potentially as well. According to Fidelity Investments, about half of future retirees are at risk of not being able to cover essential expenses in retirement. And the problem is, is that women tend to save much less than men. You see that as well. We do. So half of all future retirees are at risk of not being able to cover just their essential expenses into retirement. This is according to a recent Fidelity Investments survey. So just roughly a third of the respondents to that survey uh, were on target to cover all their spending. And that would include also discretionary spending like your travel and entertainment. While both genders as a whole hope to retire at about age 67 or so, by the time they reach that age, women have saved almost $100,000 less than men on average. And that's according to a Prudential 2018 financial wellness consensus. That's a daunting number. According to Prudential, the number one priority for for women is being able to be financially stable in the event of outliving a spouse or partner. And again, actuarially, Mm -hmm. they will. Well, right. And that's it's not just outliving, but divorce and disability can also, of course, play into the financial stability of a woman. And remember that the average age of widowhood, Danny's actually 58 years old. That's actually before you can even pull money from your own IRA without penalty. So there's definitely some financial planning that needs to happen to ensure that when or you know, if there's an instance of a transition that happens in a woman's life, her financials are stable enough to pull her through and withstand that blow. This is actually why we developed our Women, Wealth, and Wisdom group at Annex, empowering women through financial education. So the main agenda of that group is literally beginning to understand what we don't know and learning resources to help us through those tough life transitions. Now, I needed to kind of challenge my assumption because I'm always thinking of everybody's a couple. Everybody is not a couple. No, I actually, uh, personally, I service through Annex quite a few women that have never been married or are on their own now. Talking about couples, more than 25% say they plan to rely on their spouses or partner savings as a significant portion of their retirement income. 
there's a flaw with that? that there you definitely. See? It's okay. all about math. And we always say at Annex, you know, no matter what you're trying to figure out, math can help you solve it. So that's why we have so many CFPs and math geeks here. That is true, Danny, because when the first partner dies, if they've both been on Social Security, only the larger of the two checks is capped. And so a woman is left with less income. And also now all of a sudden she goes from a married to a single taxpayer bracket. So potentially earning less income, paying more taxes, that's not a favorable condition. Do you find that when there is a loss of a spouse, that that is a time for an immediate reassessment of the plan? You know, this is why we want to be prepared. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail kind of a thing. So, you know, life's not linear and there are transitions all our lives. So it's never too early to start financial planning. Sure. Here's the shocker that I found. Two thirds of women surveyed do not work with a financial planner because they think they can't afford it or or they think they don't have the necessary assets. So you're not working with a pro, you're behind already. Right, so a lot of people sometimes have problems with the word wealth, but we have to remember that we're wealthy in so many different ways, in our life experience, in our financials, in you know just a lot of ways, so sometimes, we procrastinate, right? And I could tell you both from personal experience and as a certified financial planner sitting with people and planning for over 22 years now, it's never too late or too early to start, but there definitely are more challenges the longer you wait. There are so many milestones along the way into and through retirement. The procrastination just actually exacerbates the worry and the stress. So isn't it better to know where you are in your financial journey and what you can do now to help yourself? So with everything we just covered, what is Deanne Phillips suggesting women do today that's going to make a difference in years to come? Financial planning is literally for everyone, no matter what your age is. And women have less of a problem hiring a professional, usually to help them. So ladies, get out there. Don't be afraid to ask. Find a partner like Annex who can sit with you and help you work through all those transitions that life may throw your way. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and CDFA, thank you for your time and your wisdom. Well, thank you for having me today, Danny. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? Team Tech Trust, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, June 22nd. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here. Derek Felsky and Dave Spano. Time for Ask Annex. If you got a question for us, we're always open. Go to our website at AnnexWealth.com. There's an Ask button, and you can send us one. Always get back to everybody. Marvin writes in, and this is kind of a long one, guys. So your portfolio changes throughout the year, and I hear all the time, quote, keep an eye on it. You may need to rebalance it. I never hear when or how unbalanced a portfolio needs to get before it needs to be rebalanced. Does it depend on the value of the portfolio or is it just certain percent out of balance that matters? If so, what's the percent or percent range? Well, Mark, it's talking about unbalanced, so you should take ah. this question from here on out. <laughs> well, you start thinking about, and it's a great question, first of all, because you start thinking about two things. How far out of balance is, is a time to rebalance? And then you start thinking about people who rebalance based on a calendar, Derek. And, you know, we've never been t- ascribing to that theory of it's the end of the 
quarter or the end of the month or the end of the year, thou must rebalance. So you start thinking about trading for the sake of trading, which you don't want to do. And then you want to make sure that you're doing it with a tactical purpose in your portfolio. And then also you're starting to think about what's that range where I become out of balance. Is it 5%? Is it 10%? When you start to think about what the markets have done, both the bond markets and the stock markets over the last 10 years, the stock markets have outperformed the bond markets. So people who haven't rebalanced for some period of time are probably out over their risk tolerance when you start to think about the the exposure to equities in their portfolio versus the exposure to bonds. How far out of balance do you get before you rebalance? Basically, the way our rebalancing tool works is, you know, we looked back in time over many market cycles and figured out about what kind of risk tolerance and, and basically drift we would allow between our target allocations and current holdings. And then we overlay that with what we see as the relative valuation of various asset classes. So, for example, you know, with equ- you know, we continue to like equities more than fixed income. So we've been re- relatively slow to rebalance the equity allocation, and rightly so, because we just felt equities offered more upside than, than fixed income. Similarly, within fixed income, we'll actually look to rebalance. And I think we're pretty close to doing that that because, you know, with interest rates at these levels, there's not a whole lot of upside left in, in high-duration Treasury securities. Uh, there's a lot of risk implicit in bank loans because, you know, the economy is pretty much as good as it gets, right? You know, we're north of 3%. We've got low unemployment, low inflation. That's a really good environment for bank loans. But if things were to turn to the negative, those, those asset classes could get pummeled. So, you know, we're looking at rebalancing all the time. We have arbitrarily defined parameters. I'm not going to reveal exactly what they are because, you know, that's proprietary. But basically, it's a process and it's tactical. Okay, our next question comes from Jerry. Fake meat stocks have to be complete hype. What happens to Beyond Meat when new competitors arrive? First off, let's talk a little bit about that. Beyond Meat has come out and it's just been a blockbuster. Well, it, it certainly has. I mean, the IPO was a couple weeks ago, right, guys? And I think it's sixfold since its IPO price, what it came out at. And uh, it had a rough Friday, I believe, yesterday. But the fact is, is that that stock has done very, very well. But, uh, you know, you start thinking about veggie burgers and right. and, and all that kind but of I stuff. But I think thinking in a bigger picture, I know that, you know, you may not run out and go put one on the grill uh, this afternoon. But you think about production of food worldwide and the possibility of what that could look like in places like India and, and around the world. That's where the the market is, and it's not just it's not just vegans here in the United and States, and it's not just Wendy's and and Red Robins, right? I mean, right. to your point, I mean, you start thinking about the world hunger crisis, and you, they may be onto something. But right. I think part of its distribution and part of its pricing, and if they can get those two things solved, they could be viable. And companies. we saw that Tyson Foods is now in the game, yep. and they are the largest producer of meat right now. Now, as you said, their infrastructure is in place right now. We'll have to see where that goes. The question again was, yeah, I mean, that that's the background in the. What question. happens when competitors come in? Well, the, I mean, is there enough, right? Yeah. And I think the answer, uh, Derek, would be the worldwide demand is much bigger than what it is for just the vegans here in the United States. Well, it's the, the meat market is huge. It's north of a trillion dollars. Globally. So if you just, you know, assume some simple market shares, let's say 10%, if like 10% of folks go from meat to protein-based or, or vegetable-based meat, that's a big number. And that's why companies like Beyond Meat are really interesting to model because, you know, you can come up with all sorts of assumptions about what their growth rate will be, what pricing will look like down the road. And it's also, again, though I would caution people, those lockup periods are coming. And when, the, when those lockups come, the supply of stock will go up and the price of that stock will go down, all other things being equal. Eric Felsky, our 
Chief Investment Officer. This is Ask Annex. If you can, uh, if you got a question for us, we're always open. You can do go to AnnexWealth.com, and uh, there's an Ask button. You can just click that, and we'll get back to you. Some of them we use on the air, and others that we just get back to internally. Because some folks say, "Yeah, don't use this on the air." That's that's just fine. While you're at uh, AnnexWealth.com, if you click that Get Started button, I'm looking at it right now here in the studio. It's pretty easy. It'll take you just minutes to fill out. We're going to ask your first and last name, your email address, and your phone number, and that's only so we can get a hold of you to maybe uh, talk about that portfolio analysis. An investment range, uh, we also ask if you'd like an unbiased annuity review. If you have annuities in your portfolio and you're wondering, what is it? How do these work? We'll do that. Uh, pick your location where you'd like to meet, and that includes Annex Everywhere, which uses screen share technology. And then what led you to the page, in, in this case, would be WTMJ, which sure appreciate that. I think the most important thing is right at the end, tell us about yourself. And you don't have to write us a novel or anything, but you know, kind of give us a little bit about that. We'll find that out soon enough in the portfolio review, but that really helps. And again, that's AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk. It's 1041 at WTMJ time is money make the most of yours with money talk with dave spano and mark oswald on wtmj know the difference it's team tech trust this is an annex ignite team segment joining me are members of the ignite team rick kula and brandon arps rick welcome back thanks danny and you too brandon arps glad to be here danny annex decided long ago financial planning and wealth management is for everybody and that's where annex ignite comes in it's for people just starting out that want to have a relationship with a firm that offers comprehensive wealth management rick that's my elevator speech. How did I do? That's pretty good. That about sums it up. Brandon, who's a typical client of Annex Ignite? Yeah, I think the typical client of Annex Ignite is really everybody and anybody. We tend to work with those who maybe have just graduated college, maybe they're accumulating 401k assets, Roth IRA assets, even up to people that are nearing retirement, 40s, 50 years old, and then of course those that are transitioned in retirement. So when you say everybody and everybody, it truly is everybody and everybody. Most of the time, you know, you get out of college and all you're doing is you're looking for that job and looking to make some money and you're not thinking that far ahead. You, you you almost think that you finished that you got to one of the finish lines that's right and then all of a sudden you've got student loan debt or maybe you're lucky enough to graduate without student loan debt and um, you're able to save a little bit of money that you're, you're making from your salary do you see fresh college students that are coming out and actually do have that in mind that they are going to start saving money and investing they need to pay down debt for sure right. but do they are they thinking that far ahead yeah they are you know some of the people that we engage with are very serious about saving money in fact um, you know they have very ambitious goals maybe retirement at 55 years old or 60 years old and and in order to do something like that and attain that sort of retirement age you do have to work hard and be diligent on on your saving i wonder sometimes if either parents or grandparents are prodding them and if parents or grandparents are listening to this right now you should be prodding those college yeah, absolutely i mean you start with those fundamentals of saving and and kind of learning how important it is to save that dollar over time it makes a huge difference Rick, I got to imagine that one of the most pressing questions that Ignite clients have, and I think we all have, is are we on track? Am I on track? And how do we help them get there? It's probably the most common question that we hear from pre retirees and even retirees. People are trying to take inventory of the 401k assets, Roth assets, after tax assets, and just trying to understand if they're doing the right things to help them reach their own goals. And we have some terrific software that we use that's very interactive that we can build with the client to show them on one page 
an inventory of what they've done so far and help them understand in a way like a crystal ball what they're on track for and make adjustments to that, help them see the benefits of should you increase 401k savings, pay down debt, including a mortgage, student loans, car loans, all those sorts of things. Very interactive and clients really appreciate the end results. It can be kind of bewildering when you've got things in all sorts of different sources. Maybe you've got Fidelity something or you've got a 401k sitting somewhere else and you've got it. But to really to focus it, that's key. Absolutely. It's rare today that you see someone that retires from their first employer, right? So as you change careers, as you change jobs, as family begins to take over, maybe you leave the workforce for a period of time, people don't always consolidate those assets together. So being able to kind of frame everything all on one page uh, is really helpful. And other times you have a married couple with his and her accounts and there's not always common knowledge on both sides of what that all looks like. So we're able to frame that together, bring it all together, and form it into a constructive plan so they can see where they're actually headed. The Annex Ignite team is here. Brandon, the first step with Annex Wealth Management is that free portfolio analysis. That's really a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't go to the store without looking in the refrigerator first. You always want to take stock of what you have and then figure out what you need. And that's really what that portfolio analysis is all about. Taking stock of what you have right now, how it fits into where you want to be from a goal perspective, and uh, really understanding what we can do to, to better your plan and to better the allocation or the portfolio that you may have currently. You know, it's kind of marketing talk that the free whatever it is, the free windows, the free installation, the free whatever, people can tend to think, oh, they're just going to bug me. We don't do that. If you can share that information, we certainly can help you. I think that's some of the goal that Rick and I have is is even in these initial meetings, the, the free or the no obligation meeting is to give the individual or the couple something to, to go home with, something to chew on, something that they didn't really know or understand prior to coming to the meeting and give them a good idea of what a relationship with Annex might look like so they can make an educated decision on their own on whether a partnership would be something that they would be looking for. So Rick, Annex is about team, technology, and trust. So talk a little bit about the technology that we like to use with the Ignite clients. So a majority of the meetings that Brandon and I conduct with clients are actually held by phone and web, but we make it really convenient for folks to connect with us. We, If someone comes into our office, they look at our screens and we have a, a handshake and a great interaction. When we connect with an Ignite online meeting, we talk on the regular old telephone, but we do a simple screen share. So they skip the commute. They don't have to leave work. They can actually connect with us during the day even. And especially when family gets involved, you don't have to find a sitter to watch the kids so that you can come in and meet with your financial planner. So we make it really convenient and it's a good experience all around. So what's the very least that they would need? So from a technological standpoint, like what's the minimum they'd need? If you have a smartphone or a Wi-Fi enabled laptop or PC, that should be enough. We use very simple software that involves a minimal download enabling the screen share and we do all the heavy lifting on our end if you can open an email you can connect with us with an online meeting it's just that simple okay brandon you pointed out you're an actually an xennial yes so okay but you work with millennials Indeed. right it's probably too easy to put financial planning on the back burner but the opposite is true well actually i think it is too easy to to put financial planning on the back burner we find ourselves so busy with life and with our family and and with all of these obligations that kind of push and pull us in in one way or the other. Remarkably, we have time to go to the concerts and to go out and, and, and play golf and throw a few barley pops down with the friends. But I think really what we do is we choose to use our time in ways that, um, you know, if you peel off an hour, you can get a lot done from a financial planning perspective and really trying to take the time just to do it, just just engage and um, have that conversation to begin 
with. I don't want to liken it to going to the doctor or the dentist, but there are things that you need to do. Financial planning is certainly one of those. So Rick, financial planning, wealth management, it is for everybody. If somebody thinks that they don't qualify or they're not wealthy, that isn't the case here. Sure. So some of the the firms you might hear on the radio have a minimum standard to get started with them. At Annex, we believe in creating a team that enables us to assist clients, both large and small. So if someone has some money that they're looking to better understand or they have assets that they're trying to frame into a financial plan to better understand what they're on track for, we can help them with that. Start today. Get a plan. Put the Annex Ignite team to work. Go to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. Rick Kula, Brandon Arps of the Annex Ignite team, thanks for joining me. Have a good weekend, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Okay, back in a bit. It is 1052. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Start at AnnexWealth.com. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Team Tech Trust, AnnexWealth.com is the website. I'm Danny Clayton, Mark Oswald here, and Dave Spano. On the internet, there's an abbreviation called ELI5, and it stands for Explain Like I'm Five. So you're going to need to do this. A lot of coverage this past week about who can or cannot use the word fiduciary. Can you explain like I'm five? Well, I'd like to be able to, you know, explain this, but you're talking about a regulation that is now tipping the scales at a thousand pages and and decades, really, that, Dave, we've been talking about this on the air, and it's been bounced around in our industry as to who's a fiduciary and who's not. And, And the problem, of course, is that the people that are out there listening this morning are the consumers, and they're the investors, and they have a right to understand the difference between a fiduciary, somebody who is legally bound to act in their best interest and mitigate or eliminate conflicts of interest. That's what a true fiduciary does. And what we're doing right now is really getting to the point where we have gone from two clear standards of care, the fiduciary standard of care and the suitability standard of care. And let me just jump in. I'm telling you, I just had this conversation yesterday uh, with someone, and a very smart person, and they said, what does that mean? Honestly, people still do well, not know what that means. It, it from my marketing world, it seems part of the problem is, is the fact that fiduciary usually was attached to the phrase, operates in your best interest. But those things can operate independently now. Is that how it reads? And when you look at what the SEC did in the last couple of weeks is they're recognizing when they did consumer studies, they went through AARP and they put these client relationship summaries up to the test. They put them in front of people and people said, we don't understand what the word fiduciary means. So the SEC, instead of educating people about what a fiduciary is, said, let's just eliminate the word altogether. And so you start to see this in some of the rulemaking that they're doing, and you've gotten to the point now where the consumer is left to try to decide who's acting in their best interest at all times. So me, so it's me, just so, it's ridiculous okay, so, we've so gotten this So the SEC is saying this, but let me ask you a question. Is a lawyer a fiduciary? Yes. Okay, is a CPA a fiduciary, and is your doctor a fiduciary? Y- so your the priest is a fiduciary. The term is they can't get rid of the word and make it go away, right? So that that's a concern, and, and we'll have to see if this actually passes. This is in discussion mode right now. Well, it, it is, and it's been in discussion mode for, a, mode for a couple of decades now, but it's gotten so loony that this week we saw some email traffic from some publications that said RIAs, like Annex Wealth Management, who is a true fiduciary, won't be able to use the word fiduciary in their advertising. But 
then they corrected That's how ridiculous this yeah. has gotten. But they, but they corrected it. They, the they have at this point in time. But that, that's the, not true. The fact that they have to make a rule that says that a fiduciary can tell people that it's a fiduciary right. tells you how far afield this has really gone. Right. But others could use the phrase, operate in your best interest. That's correct. And that causes the confusion, Danny. It causes the confusion. And there should be a bright line. There should be the ability to tell when a, an investor, a consumer, a listener is working with a fiduciary and when they're working with somebody who is a salesperson who is going to pledge to act in their best interest. You know, one of the analogies that I've drawn, Dave, is, you know, this disclosure idea, this idea of being able to say, we have conflicts, here's what they are. That's great, but, you know, when's the last time you went to a doctor, Dave, and, and they hand you the HIPAA, you know, disclosure or a privacy policy at your bank? Who reads these things? Or when you sign on for a new operating system from your iPhone, right, so you just click the box. Yeah. So, so, the, so let's have it cut, just because we're running out of time here. The takeaway is what? If you enter into a firm with a fee-only fiduciary like us, what do you get? What you should be able to get is a standard of care that they're going to act in your best interest at all times, and they're going to disclose and mitigate conflicts of interest. And, and those are the two things. And, and then you, what, what does the agreement say? It, that's the point that we want to get to is how do you protect yourself as a consumer? You make sure that they're going to make that statement that they are affirmatively a fiduciary and that they're willing to put that in writing in every part of their relationship. If you do those two things, you should be pretty well protected. Step number one, go to AnnexWealth.com. You can do that right now. We're out of time. It's 1059. That's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management for this week. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.